Well, hopefully you guys have uh, been enjoying your Memorial Day weekend. If not so far, hopefully because of the weather and stuff, hopefully today and tomorrow is looking good. So, uh, so we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you chose to spend part of your weekend with us here at Grace. And if you haven't been here for a couple weeks, uh, we have been diving into a letter that was actually written by Jesus's half-brother. All right, so it's super interesting. Uh, we commonly re- refer to this letter as the book of James in the New Testament. And uh, James is writing this letter to a bunch of new Christians. Most of these people haven't been Christians for very long, it w- just a few years or less. And a bunch of bad stuff's happening to them. They're being persecuted by the, the government. They're being persecuted by the other religions around them, especially uh, Judaism and the religious leaders there. And uh, all this bad stuff's happening. And so James, what he does is he starts off the letter by saying, hey, you're a Christian. Bad stuff's going to happen to you, all right? You're going to enter, there's going to be trials in your life. I know you've been scattered. I know some of you guys have been chased away from your homes, and some of you have lost everything. Some of you guys have lost loved ones to this just because you believe that Jesus was actually God. And he says, hey, when you go through trials, this is how he starts off his letter. He says, when you go through trials, guess what? God can use that for good. God can use the bad stuff in your life that you have to struggle through and that it's just a pain and it's hard and it's uncomfortable. God can use that to help strengthen your faith in him. And there's one thing that you could do if you want to. What you should do really is you should also ask God for wisdom because that's probably your best resource or your best weapon when it comes to having trials and bad times in your life. So he, he talks about that. We talked about it. And then, but, but, but trials aren't the only thing that's going to happen to us, right? Like that's not the only thing that's going to enter our life. He also mentions something else that we talked about last week. He also says temptation, and we know this, all right, if you're a human, okay? Uh, temptation is something that hits us all the time from all different angles. Temptation is a huge part of our life. We, we're constantly needing to resist temptation, and that's exactly what James tells us to do. He says, hey, when temptation comes in your life, because that's exactly what's going to happen, he says, guess what? Resist it. That's one of the things that I like about James the most is he, he I mean, he's blunt, He's straight to the point. He doesn't wrap it around all this elegant stuff or take like, you know, paragraphs to talk. He's just like, no, you got temptation in your life? Fix that. Watch out for it. It's going to be there. Temptation's not necessarily wrong, but when you give it your attention, then when you give it your affection, that's when you fall prey to it. He's like, you got to watch out for that. And so, so far, the last couple weeks, everything that we've been talking about or everything that James has talked about has been dealing with with the inside, with what's going on within us, right? Think this way, ask God for wisdom. Hey, you can get through this. You need to resist temptation. It's all about stuff on the inside. But now James comes along at the end of chapter one, and he begins by talking about there's also an outside component to our Christian life. And that's action. And it matters. And really, when we're following God, there should be some results in our life that, like, we're following God on the inside. It results in action on the outside. And for me, let me just say this. For me, one thing that I've noticed is that when, um, when I'm actually busy living life God's way, okay, for me personally, it makes getting through trials and resistant, resisting temptation so much easier. Just us, right? I don't know. I'm, I'm sure that... This, Seems like that would be how it is for everybody, but that's something that I've learned in my own life. And it's almost like I could get distracted by working for God. And we all understand what we're supposed to be doing for God, like our, our, our work, like our mission, our job. We get that? 
Just do whatever you possibly can to reach as many people as you possibly can. That's what we're supposed to be doing when we wait, from when we wake up in the morning to when we go to bed at night. Like every decision on our daily life should filter through that idea of what am I doing to impact the people around me? Or what if I do this, will that help me impact the people around me for Jesus? Because that's the only thing that matters for eternity. We get that? Okay. So that's our work. And for me, when I'm focused on doing that, temptation comes into my life, which James promises that it will. For me personally, it's just like, nah, I don't got time for that. I'm busy doing God's work. Like, I'm busy trying to reach this person. All right? And I don't got time to even, even, you know, give attention to any temptation in my life because I'm strategizing. I'm trying to convince this guy over here to give his life over to Jesus. And when a trial comes into my life, like a bad thing comes into my life, yeah, I get it. It's not ideal. And sometimes for me, it's uncomfortable. But I'm not really worried about it because I'm more worried about her and she needs to give her life to Jesus because she's on the path to hell. You get what I'm saying? So for me, it's just been a lot easier in my life when I'm living my life right and I'm focused on the job that God has given me, which, by the way, is the same job God has given all of us as Christians. Man, going through trials is a lot easier because it doesn't have my attention. Resisting temptation gets a lot easier because I'm not focused on that temptation. It just gets easier. And so James is going on to explain how this all works. And his main thing is that action is essential to living life God's way. It's essential. It's super important. So James chapter 1, verse 19, right here. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, real quick, it's interesting. Before he tells us what to do, he reminds us who we are. Here at Grace, Grace Community Church, Tiffin, Ohio, right here, we are a family. At least that's what we're supposed to be. All right, we're supposed to be getting to know each other. We're not supposed to, this is supposed to be something where we come together once a week. We sit in our certain spots. We only talk to the person that we come with, and we don't talk to anybody else. That's not what grace is supposed to be, right? That's not a, that's not a family. Maybe that's your family. That's not a good family, right? That's, that's not what a family is supposed to be. We are supposed to be together. That's what he calls us. He says, dear brothers and sisters, hey, fam, all right? Christian family, check this out. Understand this. There's something you need to know. He's just got done talking about trials, and then he got done talking about temptation and how we can get through both in our life, inside stuff. But he's like, guess what? There's an outside component, and you need to know this specifically. So understand this. He kind of stops, regathers focus and attention. He's like, okay, now this is what I want you to know. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. All right, so here he starts, and he's saying, hey, you need to be quick to listen. Super interesting. That, and he mentions that first. Super interesting because in today's society, we might say that. We just don't do it. You know what I mean? Like, who's quick to listen? Most people aren't. In fact, in our society today, what do we usually do? Or what's, what's our ideal? Our, I, the, the kind of way that we live is we think... Naturally, we think hey, everybody needs to be heard. In fact, we view it as a right. I have a right to be heard, which really means I have a right for you to stop what you're doing and listen to what I have to say. Like, that's, that's, that's what we think. We think we have a right to be heard, and hey, everybody needs to be heard, and all this stuff. And that's why we got, you know, Facebook. We always put down our opinions, whether they're political or, you know, whatever they might be. Hey, I believe in this. Medical, you know, people, you go on Facebook, you see all kinds of stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody has their stuff posted for everybody to see, and nobody else cares. But we all do it, so I don't know. I don't do it because I hardly get it. I don't post on Facebook anymore. But anyway, so... 
you know, we got Facebook, so we post our opinions on that. We got Twitter, we, we tweet our opinions on that. And then when somebody else has an opinion that either we agree with or we disagree with, a lot of times we want our opinion known or what we think we want to be heard. And so we comment on the comment section so, so everybody knows kind of where we stand with that or so we can correct that person because they don't know, right? And they're, they're completely wrong on this certain subject. I mean, even in the newspaper, right? We got, we got a whole opinion sections dedicated to that. But James here, he's saying, hey, you need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. But our world, what we end up doing is we flip that to you need to be quick to speak, slow to listen. It's not good, necessarily. I'm not saying no, that's bad, necessarily. But we're doing it in the wrong order. Usually, it's an inside thing. And so James is saying, the way that you live your life matters. What we as Christians, we need to do, especially when something takes us off or we hear something or something just doesn't seem right to us. What we need to do, number one, is we need to stop, listen, be slow to open our mouth, be slow to react, be slow to get angry. Basically, this whole thing is here's James. He's saying, hey, don't get riled up so easily. Like, don't get riled up. You know, you look at society, it's like everybody gets offended. Every little thing. Everybody gets riled up. Everybody's like on the edge of getting angry, you know, about this or about that. Society, we just, our society does the opposite. We don't listen. We're quick to give our opinion. And then we're quick to react to other people's opinion. But James, he stops. He's like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Listen first. See, personally, I think many of us, we're just bad listeners. Every single person, if you're going, no, I'm a good listener. Every single person in here, we all struggle with listening sometimes. So we all, this is, this is all of us. But uh, we're just bad listeners. I think a lot of times, I think there's a couple reasons I could think of. And, uh, and one of those, you know, we just don't like what the other person's saying. So we refuse to hear it. Our culture is really big into this right now. Hey, if you don't agree with what I'm saying, I'm canceling you. I'm not listening to you. I'm blocking you. Uh, that, we, we got that. I think a lot of times we do that. But then some of us, I think, <laughs> sometimes our mind is just other places. Like, we just don't, and really, that's a care issue, this inside thing. We just don't, we just don't care. I remember uh, before Kate and I got married, we went to marriage counseling or had marriage counseling, and we did it with a pastor that she was super close with, super nice guy, really liked this guy, still like this guy to this day. But when we were sitting in our marriage counseling, first of all, there were really long meetings, and... Second of all, he had these can lights in the ceiling, and the fan came down below that and it was on. And so the room kind of like flickered. You know what I'm talking about? It kind of puts you to sleep. It's really hard for me to pay attention. I, maybe that's just me. Uh, that is, you know, I, I struggle with that. But, you know, here's a guy. He's, he's doing most of the talking, like 90% of the talking. And, and we're sitting there. We're listening. We're supposed to be listening. But I'm like, what kind of books he got? What's, what's over there? What's on the shelf? Why's he got that? What's, what's over here? Let me look at my phone real quick. He probably didn't notice that. You know, I'm thinking like this, and all this stuff. And I remember getting out of that meeting, and I think I'm pretty sly, but I'm, I have no idea, you know, most of it, I'm not sure what he was saying because I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't listening. And afterwards, we were walking out in the, of the church in, from the parking lot, and she was mad at me. I'm not going to say she yelled at me, but it was as close to that as possible. You know, she, she's like, You're, what are you doing? That's embarrassing. You could totally tell you weren't, you weren't paying attention. You know, you, were, you weren't listening. That was her big thing. Why weren't you listening? And so, and James is like, that's what you need to do. James is like, you have to listen. 
That should be your first instinct. It's not, but that's what it should be. That's what we have to adjust in our life. You need to take things in. Don't express yourself so quickly. By the way, notice that James does not say, be quick to listen and don't speak. It's better off just not to speak at all. He doesn't say that either. We've talked about that here, Grace. As a Christian, especially when we see other Christians in our family doing things that they're not supposed to be doing or doing things that are wrong or sinning, that's what the Bible calls it, we're supposed to point those things out. Iron sharpens iron. A lot of us don't do that. But we are supposed to speak. There's a, there's a part of that. She'll stand up for people that, that with injustice and stuff like that. We're supposed to be a part of that. But James, he's saying, hey, you need to listen first. That's, a, that's important. That's the first thing that you need to do. And getting angry does not help. Now let's talk about anger real quick. I think that's maybe something we should talk about. Um, with anger. There is a difference between human anger and godly anger. Let's say that. We all agree with that? It sounds good, but maybe we're like, well, how? What's the difference? You know, let's, let's talk about that real quick. There's a couple things. God's not on the edge of anger, like always looking for something to be mad about. We get that? Sometimes we do that, right? Have you ever met somebody that you're looking at them and you're just like, you are an angry person. Like, why do you want to live your life like that? You know, why are you so mad all the time? You're offended by this. You're offended by that. Just go with the flow. You know, what's wrong with you? I remember I had a pastor one time. He, I remember listening to what he had to say. He said God's anger. He described it like this. He said God, God's anger has a really, really, really long wick. Right? And I, th- I think that's true. James is saying, hey, don't get angry quickly. And guess what? Happens to, you know what happens to be the best example? It's our creator. It's God who is very, 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 very slow to anger. And I think some of us maybe in here, we're pushing back a little bit on that. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, shouldn't we be angry when we see something wrong or we see somebody doing something wrong to somebody else? Or what about injustices and all this stuff? And I just want to point out to you, I just want you to remember, God sees everyone. Right? God sees way more than what we, than what we see. He, he sees all kinds of, of, he sees every terrible thing that happens to every single person, but he's still slow to anger, which is interesting. And then when God does get angry, he does not stay angry like we usually do. Right? Some of us, we're just... I mean, we're just enraged. We just, we just get mad. And, and God's not a God who's enraged at something and, and he's off in the corner just like, I can't believe they did that again and again. And, you know, he's not, that's, not, that's not who God is. A lot of times that's what we do. James is saying that does nothing. When we're just mad or we're just angry all the time, we're offended by all these little things that are around us. And there's, let's be honest, really nothing that we could do about it. James is like, that does nothing. That's actually worthless. It's worthless. Why live your life like that? So we need to be slow to speak and slow to anger. And then, on the flip side, we need to be quick to listen. And the main thing that we should listen to is what he says next. He says, therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. He's like, I mean, we get this right. Our world is just bad. We live in a bad world. We live in an evil world. There's sin everywhere. Sin is taking, you know, hold. It's just, it's just evil so prevalent is what James would say. Moral filth is all over the place, and it's really, 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 really easy for us to get dirty, okay? Every single one of us, we all struggle with this. We all have temptation in our life. None of us are, are perfect. We are all on the same playing field here at Grace, 
Okay, that's, we're all on the same playing field. So he says, hey, you got to watch out for that. It's everywhere. Don't take the wrong turn. And then he says, humbly, key word there. We struggle with that. Receive the implanted word. Now, what the heck is the implanted word? It's this. It's the Bible. This is the, the, he's talking about the Bible. He's talking about the implanted, he's talking about the word of God. He says, receive the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. So kind of a big deal, right? He's saying this book right here is a little bit different than the other books out there because this book can save your soul. It's a big deal. That's a big thing. Then he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only because when you do that, you're just deceiving yourself. So he's looking at this and he's saying, hey, you need to focus on the word because it can save you. This is, this is what he's saying here is huge. He's saying straight up, he's not beating around the bush. He's just telling us what he means to say. You need to be quick to listen. And when you're quick to listen, actually the thing that you should specifically be quick to listen to happens to be this book because it could save your soul from hell from eternity. All right? Big, huge. He drops the mic. He walks off, but he actually doesn't do that because he's got some more to say. So he says, the Bible can save you, and it's a big deal. And many of us, I think, would agree with that in here. And we're like, yeah, I'm all about the Bible. I'm, I'm cool with the Bible. I, I agree with the Bible. We, a lot of us in here, we know our Bible. We think we're pretty godly people because we know about this book. In fact, a lot of us, we read, you know, we read this book, and we read so many books about this book, and we, we listen to podcasts about God. We read books about God. We have all this stuff. But these aren't words about God. These are the words of God. There's a difference there. This is way more important <laughs> than your favorite devotional book, than your, from your favorite author that you really love to read over and over again, all right? This is the words of God, not the words about God. Even then, some of us, we memorize verses, we coach, quote scripture, we could do all this stuff, we go to all the Bible studies, we go to church every week, you know, and, and this is all good. In fact, James would say, great, now what do you do with it? And what have you done with it? You read it, that's good. You should read it because these are God's words. These are, this is what God is communicating to you specifically. But have you done what he said? Be, I think a lot of times it's like this. Let's, picture, let's say you're a mom or dad. All right, you're going to go on vacation or some trip for a couple days. You're not going to be home for a couple days. And you have a few things that you want your kids to do. Maybe some of you guys have done this. And this might really hit home for some of you. And so you write down on a little note, a little piece of paper. You say, hey, guys. Hope you're doing good. You know, I want you to wash the dishes while I'm gone. I want you to wash the dishes. I want you to mow the lawn, and I want you to take out the trash. Love, dad. You know, that's what I do. So you leave that there. You go on your trip. It's great. You business, vacation, whatever it might be. You get home, and when you get home, the first thing that you notice is the lawn is like, Got weeds everywhere. It's got dandelions all over. It looks like my yard. And so you're looking at it. You're just like, what has happened? This does not look good. And then you walk in, and the first thing you do is you open up the door, and, and, and the house smells because the trash hasn't been taken out. And so you go out there, and you look at the trash, and you're looking, and it's, there's trash all over the place. And then you look at the sink, and the sink's just overflowing with dishes, and that stinks too. And you're just like, what is going on? So what do you do as a parent? You call in your kids. You're like, hey, you guys, get over here. Get all, everybody gather around. We're going to have a little talk. And you, then you'd, be, you'd say, hey, did you get my note? And they'd be like, yeah, dad, mom. 
We got, our, we got your note. Actually, we read your note a whole bunch. Actually, what we, what we did is we studied your note. We studied it really good. We, we read it every day together. He read it out loud. She, you know, we, we were all about, you know, and then we started doing some research about your note. So we started looking around and we said, hey, let's think about um, the dishes, for example. So we started doing some research on what the best detergent is to use. And then we started doing some research on which cycle to use. Kate and I, we've been having a, I don't want to say argument because I'm a pastor, but, uh, but we've had a, a discussion on our dishwasher. We just got a new dishwasher a few months ago. And our water bill has been high, so I'm trying to, like, I'm doing some investigation, like, why is our water bill twice as much? And I think it's the dishwasher, but she doesn't think that. It's the, so I'm looking at it, and I notice that when we wash dishes, it's a three-hour cycle. To me, we live in a 21st century, and this was an expensive dishwasher. I'm like, a machine should be able to wash dishes in less than three hours. You know? Anybody with me on that? That's what I'm thinking. So I'm like, Kate, and that's like the middle cycle. So I'm like, hey, let's move over to the shorter cycle, which is the one-hour cycle, which still seems kind of long to me, but we'll figure, let's, let's just test it out. But then she thinks, and we've tried it a few times, but she claims that, the, that it doesn't wash the dishes as good, which I'm prepared to live with, but she's not. <laughs> and so your kids are telling you all about the cycles. Like, hey, Dad, there's some, you know, if you do this cycle, this might be the most economic way to do it. And you got this and this and this and all this type of stuff. Three hour, you really want the four hour cycle. That's the best one, Dad. We're going to do this. And then they're coming up with all those tricks that they learned on Google, which is what I learned this week. If you turn on the, the faucet, which I would never do because I'm cheap and I don't want to waste money. And so you turn on the faucet, you let all the cold water run out. Then you get the hot water to the dishwasher. And so the whole cycle is hot water and that's really good. It cleans your dishes way better. And then, Dad, we started looking at the trash and, and started trying to figure out some ways that we could do the trash faster and better. So we're going to recycle some stuff. We're going to compost, you know, whatever. Some of you guys might do that. I don't know if that, whatever. Moving on. And, uh, and we looked at like the trash bags and what's the best trash bags to use that they won't rip and you pull it out and there's all this stuff. And so, and then with mowing the lawn, dad, we learned that, that we, we're doing some research on that. And the, the best height for your grass is two and a half inches. And so we should be, you know, we should be keeping the grass at that height. And the best time to mow is between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. because that's when the dew is like slowly drying, but the sun's out. And so that's the best time. And so we sharpened the blades of the mower. We did all this stuff. We're all ready to go, dad. But what would you do as the parent? You'd be like, but you didn't do it. It's worthless. I don't care if you know all this stuff about cycles and trash bags and composting and grass. If you don't do it, it's completely worthless. See, sometimes I wonder if that's how God feels when he looks at us. See, I think most of us in here, let me say this. I don't, I don't know where everybody's at. We're a new church, so it's hard to judge. But uh, I think most of us that come to church here every week, right, we're, uh, we're Christians and you know, some of us, we've been Christians for a long time. I think most of us church people, I think we know a lot more about the Bible and it doesn't match up with than, than what we do, like, like two different levels. We have a, a knowledge about the Bible that's up here, but, we have a, but what we actually do with it is like here. And this is what James is trying to point out to us, church people. He's saying, hey, those should be the same. Your work isn't, oh, I need to learn more stuff about the Greek and Hebrew and all this stuff. No, your work is here. You got an issue with the doing part. 
That's what you need to fix. See, true Christ, or we, we've turned Christianity into academics, but it's not supposed to be academics. It's supposed to be a lifestyle. We've turned Christianity into a bunch of information, but Christianity isn't information. It's transformation. Right? It's, it's, it, it, they're different. Jesus even points this out one time. One time he's talking to religious leaders, and these guys were crazy. We've talked about them a whole bunch. They had rules to keep them from breaking God's rules. They had rules to keep them from breaking the rules that kept them from breaking the rules that kept them from breaking God's rules. Okay, so they had all these rules, all these stipulations about everything. They had thought they're like, they, I mean, they had hundreds of years. So they just added rule, 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 rule. And they had all this stuff. These guys had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. So they had all of this memorized. I mean, it's crazy. I can't even memorize. I find it hard to memorize a verse. And these guys, you know, they memorize books, not even like fun books. These are like the hard books, you know, numbers. They memorized all this stuff. They had it to memory. And so Jesus points this out in John chapter 8. He says, I know you are descendants of Abraham. Jesus is pointing. He's looking at him. He's like, I know you have everything memorized. I know you're really, 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 you know, knowledgeable on the Bible. You know all this stuff, but you are trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. He's like, yeah, you have all this knowledge about the Bible, but you don't do it. You're here. You're not a doer. Now, I'm not saying studying the Bible is bad. By no means. I'm saying studying the Bible alone is bad. James is pointing that out. He's saying, man, you got you to do what it says. Otherwise, knowing all this stuff is worthless. He gives an example. He says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. So here's, this, here's James. He's saying, hey, hearing, reading, and studying the Bible, but not doing what it says, is kind of like looking in the mirror. And ironically, the Bible is kind of like a mirror to us. Like we look at it. You guys use, we all use mirrors usually when you're getting ready. All right, some of you guys probably should use it a little more often. We all, we all use them? Okay, maybe it's not the highlight of your day. I get it. But, uh, but mirrors are good. We should be using mirrors. Uh, mirrors point out issues that you might have and you could, you could fix. By the way, the Bible does the same thing. The Bible is like a mirror that we look at and it's like, oh, I have a problem here and here and here and here. I got to fix this up in my life. The Bible is like a mirror and that's what James is, is really explaining to us. Looking in the mirror is good. It helps you make yourself presentable. I should probably look in the mirror more often. I don't do that enough. Um, I realize sometimes as I get to work and I just uh, happen to glance at myself and I'm like, oh, shoot, you know, what's going on here? Yeah, just a few days ago, I was driving here and uh, and driving to work and I noticed in my rear view mirror, I'm not even like looking at myself, I just noticed I have this like giant zit on my, on my like up above my lip. I'm like 34 years old. I should be done with that by now, but here I am. So I'm trying to do, you know, whatever. I don't want to gross you guys out, but I had to take care of the thing on the spot. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what the mirror's for. It points out things that shouldn't be there. A few weeks ago, I was, I've been working at this, uh, I, was work, or I was working at this old building. I was up in the attic. There's like spider webs everywhere. It's just crazy. It's like arachnophobia type stuff up there. And I had to go to Lowe's, so I'm running to Lowe's. 
And, and people are kind of looking at me a little bit differently, and I got a hat on. I'm like, well, what's the deal? And, uh, and I end up going to the restroom at Lowe's, and I'm washing my hands, and I just happen to glance up. They got a big mirror there. Glance up. And I noticed I got this giant, like, black, I think it's like cobwebs just, like, spun together, draped across my entire hat. This thing is huge. It looked like a giant, I mean, I don't know, it's like the size of a cucumber. I, you know, I don't know how to explain it. Just this giant thing on top of my head that I'm, that's walking around with me that people are looking at. And, and you know, it's, it's that type of thing. That's what a mirror does. It points out the things that shouldn't be there, like that. And I had to, you know, do a whole bunch of stuff to get that off. But, uh, but, but James is, is pointing that out. Looking in a mirror is good. That's a good thing. But if you completely forget what you look like, or if you don't use it, you look in the mirror and you don't, you don't recognize anything, James is just pointing out, he's like, what's the point? Why look in the mirror? Why even have a mirror? If hearing, reading, and studying the Bible, that's, that's good. But if you don't do what it says, what's the point? Who cares what you know? Who, why, why even read it? James is pointing out, he's saying you need to do both. In the Pigerton household, um, we have three kids, and they're crazy. Okay, all three of them are crazy in their own weird way. And sometimes I get home from work, and the one thing that I want to do, and we'll eat, and then I just want to sit on the couch and, like, watch a game, at least a part of a game, not even a full game. Just give me, like, 30 minutes of watching some sports, okay? That's what I want to see, some, preferably football, but college basketball I can make an exception for. So I'm sitting there, and a lot of times I'll sit there. This happens more than it should. And I'll grab the remote, and first of all, you can usually tell when you pick it up because it's light, and you're like, oh, the batteries are gone. And, the, the, like, the cap's not there anymore. Any of you guys ever struggle with this where it's like, where the batteries go, especially with little kids. And so it's like they give you a, a scavenger hunt for free. You don't even have to ask for it. They set it all up for you. And so you're like looking around, I'm looking under the couch, and I can usually find, you know, one battery. But for some reason, because my remote takes two, it's like the second one is always hidden better. I don't know why that is. It rolls under something. It's just more, it's just more difficult. And I've tried it. You take the remote, you put pop in one battery, and you're like, it doesn't work. Why don't they make it? We're just one, one you know, it only needs a battery. It's a remote. How much electricity does it need? It's, but one battery doesn't work. A remote with one battery, I've learned the hard way, does absolutely nothing. You might as well not even have a remote. That's what James is kind of explaining. He's saying it takes both. You have to have both batteries for the remote to work, and you have to do both to make the Christian life work. You have to hear the word, and then you have to do it. It takes both. Only having one down in your life is worthless. He continues in verse 25. He says, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom. Now, what's the perfect law of freedom? It's the Bible. Okay, that's, he's just describing this. Okay. One who looks intently into the Bible and perseveres in it, meaning listens to it. That's what we're supposed to do. Listens, soaks it in, and then does what it, what it says, perseveres. Is, and is not forgetful here, but who is a doer of works, this person will be blessed in what he does. He's saying it takes both. you got to do it. You have to do both. Next verse. Yeah. All right. If anyone thinks he is religious, now what's he talking about here? So you got to know about the New Testament. Is Usually, when the New Testament uses the, uses the word religion or religious or anything like that, it's usually in a negative context. Which is interesting because probably the whole world outside of church would view 
Grace Community Church as a religious place. But the Bible's like, nah. Or the Bible as a religious book. But the Bible's like, nah, that's not what it is. Jesus came on the scene. He's like, it's not about religion. In fact, he had many, many, many arguments with religious leaders who were ultra-religious people, more religious than anybody in around today, here in Tiffin, Ohio, that's for sure. These people were really, really, really religious people. They had all these rules. We've already talked about them. He, I mean, he constantly butted head, with the, butted head with those people. And so here's James pointing out. He's like, if anyone thinks he's religious, like you think you're a good person, you've done a bunch of good stuff, you have all these rules that you follow in your life, and, and you look at yourself, you're like, wow, I'm a pretty good person. I've done this, I've done that. You know, I go to church, I've been baptized, I take communion, you know, I do all this stuff. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious, but without controlling his tongue, and what's he talking about there? You can't control what you say. Meaning you complain, you put somebody down, you talk negative about people, that type of thing, gossip, huge. You can't do that. It's interesting what he does here. He's talking about religious people. And again, this is a negative thing. And there's a lot of people who view themselves as pretty religious. And what James does is he like goes into the, the bucket of sin that we all struggle with. And he just reaches down in there because there's a bunch of different sin that we're all dealing with, every single one of us, including myself. And he just picks one up. He's like, oh, controlling what you say. And it happens to be one that, uh, that we all struggle with with probably the most. Like that's probably one of the biggest things that we struggle with is controlling what we say. And he picks that up and he's like, hey, you think you're pretty religious, like you're a good person, but you can't do this, control what you say. He says your religion is useless. Is useless. And you're deceiving yourself. He's like, good for you. I mean, you think you're pretty, pretty good. It's, it's use, your religion is useless, and you're just deceiving yourself. He says, you think you're pretty religious. You know a few things. You're pretty mature. You've been a Christian for a while. Maybe you're here every week. You go to all the Bible studies. He's like, hey, I want you to listen in here. You are vulnerable. You specifically are vulnerable to what James is talking about here today. It's so, so, so easy to become a hearer and not a doer. Meaning it's possible to sit in church each week and completely miss it. And to be honest, I think Satan is pumped when churches are packed out to hear the word and then everybody gets up after the service and we walk outside these doors and then we do nothing but we feel accomplished. We're deceived. I mean, we're just lying to ourselves. James is saying, hey, this is what real religion looks like. Interesting. Again, play on words. Usually it's a bad thing, but here he kind of shifts it into a good thing. He says, pure and undefiled religion, like real religion, if that's what you want to call it, before God the Father is this. He says, to look after orphans and widows, which we as a church do, and in their distress, and, and to keep oneself unstained from the world, which is super key here. Have you ever been at a restaurant where you've spilled something on yourself? Nobody? I'm the only one? Okay, all right. This happens like every year for me. I don't know. I don't go out to eat that often. Well, besides Burger King. But anyway, moving on. So, um, you know, so we're, sometimes this happens to every single one of us. So what do we do? When we spill something like ketchup or whatever on our shirt or our pants, we take like a napkin. This is what I do. Maybe you guys have your Tide pins. You're like, done. But I don't do that. I don't have that. And so I take a napkin, dip it in water or something, and I try to scrub it out. And what ends up doing, you usually spread it, you know? Like it gets, 
I don't know what the word is, dimmer. I don't, yeah, I don't know if that's right. But it gets bigger, you know. And so it's that. That's kind of what religion is. Religion is just us doing all this stuff. What is religion? It's following all these rules of do's and don'ts of how to get to heaven or how to impress God. Right? He's saying religion, you know, is, is us trying really, really, really hard to cover up the stain that's actually there. And when we do that, because we're trying hard, we're working it in, we just end up grinding it in deeper. And so James is saying, hey, you need to focus on the word. You need to hear it, but then you need to act on it. And so that's my question for you today. This morning, this week, Memorial Day weekend, are you sure you're doing both? Are you doing both? I get you might be doing one. I get you might be really, really, really good at one. But are you doing both? Are you in your Bible? Are you reading? Are you studying? Are you learning? Are you listening? And then does that show up in your life with action? Meaning, do you do what it says? See, so many of us, we do one and not the other. Some of us, some people, we don't get in the Word, but we generally live a pretty good life. My middle child, Wes, when he was a toddler, I guess, but when he was a toddler, he... We couldn't get him to, like, feed himself. You get it? how much easier it is? You guys, a lot of you guys have been parents or are parents where your kids can, like, hold their own bottle. It's just so much easier. You know? It just saves you a bunch of time. Wes wouldn't do that. He was uncooperative as a toddler, and I don't appreciate that about him. But, uh, but my other kids are good. My little daughter, Lizzie, she, from early, she'd take it, she'd walk around the house, drinking her bottle. Everything was good. But Wes was like, feed me. That's what a lot of people are. As Christians, see, there's many people, and some people hear that the only time that they get in the Word is here at church on Sunday morning. Like, this is the only time. Like, you get the verses, you, you go through the verses that we talk about, it, which is like four or five, six verses, you know, a week, and, but for the rest of the week, you don't feed yourself. The only time you eat all week long is here on Sunday mornings. And you refuse to pick up this book and you refuse to feed yourself. And you might have a bunch of good reasons, reasons that you think are pretty good. You're busy, you got all this stuff. But it's interesting that those people who usually don't feed themselves are usually the ones who complain to me once in a while saying, hey, you didn't go deep enough. Or basically what they're saying is, hey, you didn't feed me enough. And you know what? I want to yell in their faces in a nice pastoral way. It's like, I'm like, feed yourself. Feed yourself. It's not my job to feed you all week. Like Sunday morning is one tiny part of the role that the Bible should be playing in your life. It's on you. But you're a good person and you're busy and you let it slide. Others, you're in the word. You read this book and that's good. Don't stop that. Right, that's good. You got half of it done. You even study it. Some of you, you've been a Christian for a long time. You know some Greek words, and you feel pretty good about that. And you know the historical background to all this stuff and all these stories, and you got all this going on. But then you stop, and you don't do. And even I fall into this sometimes. James is telling us here this morning, he's saying, hey, man, you're deceiving yourself. Like, you're lying to yourself. You think you're good. You think you're religious, you're not. It takes both. It takes both batteries to make the remote work. It takes both hearing and doing to make the Christian life work. It's very similar. And so that's all I want you to do this week. I want, I want you to focus on that. 
Number one, are you in the habit of reading your Bible? If you're not, you need to work on getting in that routine because this, as James would say, can save you. It's important. But number two, are you in a routine? Or maybe, number two, you, maybe you are in a routine. And you know a lot about the Bible. You have all this knowledge of this and that. Do you do it? I mean, what are the areas in your life that you're not doing it God's way? I mean, we all got them. You need to focus in on those mirrors. Again, the Bible's like a mirror where you're like, oh, man, I got this. I need to take this off. I need to get rid of this from my life. I need, to, I need to do this. I need to do that. James is saying, you read the Bible. You know the Bible. Now do it. Do it. Act on it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this. and Lord, we thank you for these words that you've given us. And, and help us to do this. Help us to do both. Help us to get in your word. Help us to listen. Just like Help us to be quick to listen. Just like you told us. But God, help us not to forget the second part of that, which is so easy for each and every one of us to, to forget. Help us to act and help us to do it. Help us to obey what you say because it's actually for our good and the good for those around us. God, we thank you for giving us all that you've given us, more than we, we could ever imagine. And we thank you for this church and this family that you've given us here in Tiffin. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.